What is the one thing you can do to improve just about every aspect of your life, your energy, sharpness, performance, your immunity and longevity, even your sanity? It's something that every single one of us does every day of our lives, but we too often do it poorly. Well, today I've got the world-renowned sleep doctor, Michael Bruce. He says we can't achieve true wellness without conquering sleep problems. I was sleep-deprived for about 25 years. I was fooling myself that it wasn't damaging my mind and body. But I have seen the light, and I've used many of the ideas and practical tools that Dr. Bruce has pioneered as a clinical psychologist and best-selling author. His books include The Power of When and the latest one, Energize, How to Go from Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. I do love the title. His website, thesleepdoctor.com, is loaded with all kinds of great info. So here we go, a coveted appointment with the sleep doctor. Well, Michael, I don't believe in regrets, and I've long ago given up trying to improve my past. But if I had known about the stuff that you have been espousing for the last 20 years, I probably would live longer because before you get into this, this was a very ignored space and, and you were a, a pioneer. And so there wasn't as much info out there. And so for about 25 years, when I hosted college game day, I got by on about four or five hours of sleep a night, night after night, week after week for months at a time for 25 years, because I just, I felt like it was required. I was getting by on adrenaline and caffeine, but I feel like I took years off my life by doing that. <laughs> So the good news is I don't think you've taken too much off the back end of your life and there's lots of room for improvement. So I don't want you to worry. Um, and as I think we've talked about before, I'm a huge college football fan. And this year, my team is doing quite well. I went to the University of Georgia. So we've been the champions last year and looking pretty good this year. I'm watching a lot of college football, my friend. <laughs> These are good days for the dogs. Yeah, all my they friends are. who were Georgia fans uh, had a great time in Indianapolis last year yep. for the championship. And they might get a sequel this year. Yeah, I, In working with college football teams and athletes, mm -hmm. sleep. Michael huge. has become such a huge topic huge. and the player's sleep is monitored and they are expected to report that data required to report that data every day. And if they miss sleep, they're chewed out like missing a tackle in a practice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that stuff. Well, and here's the thing that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, when you're talking about, you know, division one, division two, II, division three, you know, kids who are athletes, like these are elite kids, right? Like, they're, they're, and, and they're, they're highly tested for things like steroids and things of that nature. And so if you're looking for the edge, it's in sleep. Um, and a lot of people never think about it that way. But if you're a well-slept athlete, I can show you reams of data to show people getting their personal best on you know days when they're well slept on world records i mean honestly some of the athletes i've worked with historically the difference between being on the podium or off the podium in the olympics is how you slept the night before almost every time it got me thinking because some of us just try to get by but athletes need to achieve you know peak performance and a lot yeah. of what you write about is how to optimize your performance yeah. whatever you're doing based on getting enough sleep and getting enough quality sleep yeah, and that's the big thing that is important for people, you know, who are listening to think about is we're not just talking about quantity of sleep, but we're actually talking about quality of sleep, right? And so while minutes or hours are important, at the end of the day, it's what are you getting in those minutes that I would argue is probably much more important.
Before you came along, and, and Web, WebMD had nothing on, on sleep at all before you became the kind yeah. of the OG sleep expert on WebMD. Right. But I, I think in, in we talked about athletic culture and military mm -hmm. culture, even in hard-charging yeah. business culture. So many mm -hmm. areas of, of, I'll just talk about men's culture, yeah. sayings like, you know, sleep is for the weak. My oh, brother totally. heard that as a Marine again and again. Or... I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's kind of yeah. like the, the frat house bro culture. Come on out. I mean, totally people right. are just fighting the idea that, that sleep was even necessary to get and, by. And we're seeing that lesson less nowadays. Um, and I don't know if that's because kids who are younger are smarter than we were. Um, and they're like, hold on a second. I, I want my sleep. Like, I, I feel much better. I perform better when I sleep. Um, I think they're more interested in balance in their overall lifestyle. And so I think that's kind of coming through it. But to be fair, look, I'm 54 years old. I mean, you know, my dad walked into the room at, you know, 630 in the morning, banging a bunch of pots and pans to wake my ass up in high school, right? Like, that's what happened back then. It was none of this, oh, honey, hit the snooze button three times. You know, it was like, get your ass out of bed and do your chores. So I think generationally, we're talking about very different kind of universes. But you're right. There used to be a culture where you were, you were a wimp. If you got, if you wanted to go take a nap or you said you were too tired to do something. Yeah. Nothing could be well, further from the truth, by the way. <laughs> I love the saying that you have that, that, that sleep is a domino, maybe the lead domino in a bigger yeah. conversation about wellness. If you can get people to understand that, that whether you're eating right, not drinking too much, not smoking, working out, getting your steps in, managing your stress. If that sleep piece of it isn't right, can you be a, a, a well person? There's no universe. I would argue you cannot, you cannot do wellness without sleep. I would argue there's three big areas that you can't do wellness without. You can't do wellness without breathing properly. You can't do wellness without hydration and you can't do wellness without sleep. I think all three of those are dominoes, but I, I agree. That is kind of my new idea now is like, I look for those things that are so basic in health and wellness that if you get that right, several other things kind of click into place. Right. And I think that's what you're referring to here is if you're interested in weight loss, there's no universe you're going to lose weight if you're sleeping four and a half hours a night. It just isn't going to happen. Like your body, your physical body would not allow for it to happen because it's like, where I need to use those resources. Right. So, you know, it wants to get make you hungry and forage for more food and all of those types of things. And so, yeah, getting sleep right really it gets everything right. I mean, I tell people all the time, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. Right. It doesn't necessarily guarantee wellness if you neglect yeah. the other things we're talking about, but you can't have it without at least addressing that. I think, I think that's, that's important. Um, your original book is Beauty Sleep, the, the first book. We have a copy here. This is from about 15 years I ago, love, right? I love the fact that you have that. So <laughs> believe it or not, that is my first book, but it was titled something different when it came out in, paper, in a hardcover. So in hardcover, it was called Good Night, The Sleep Doctor's 30-Day Program to Better Sleep and Better Health. And to be honest with you, dude, it didn't sell very well. And so the publisher came back to him and they're like, we want to go with your original idea, which was beauty sleep, because what I wanted to do was show people how you could, you know, aesthetically look better based on getting better sleep. And so they're like, absolutely, let's throw that in as the title. And the book actually uh, performed better with the new title. Same, same content, like literally same pages and everything. But yeah, that's my first. We'll get to a lot of things, uh, the chronotypes, which is mm -hmm. something you pioneered how you stay asleep, how you wake up in the morning, all those things, but just getting to sleep. In this book, I remember yeah. reading the line, I, I can't 
turn my mind off. I just cannot yep. shut it down. Getting Number to sleep complaint. is impossible for me. And that resonated at that time. It's before I sort of embraced meditation as an idea and stretching before bedtime. I, your work and others have, have showed me the way. But so many people, Michael, I just can't. So much is going. Maybe now more than ever, I can't shut my mind off with everything that's on my plate. Well, and, and here's what I would tell you is I think you're correct. I think it is more now than it has ever been before. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot more crises, crises or crises. I'm not sure what the plural of crisis is going on now than ever before, right? We got financial crisis. We've got pandemic crisis. We've got uh, social media insanity. We've got an election coming up. Like there's so many things to make people stressful right now that to be honest with you, I'm surprised anybody's getting a good night's sleep. Uh, here's, here's an interesting statistic for you. Since the pandemic, there's been a, I, I believe it's a 23% increase in sleeping pill prescriptions written. 23%. That's shocking. That's I mean, nuts, the first, I was going to ask you, being, short of medication, because many people's first instinct, I got a problem, take a pill. I didn't matter That's what right. it is. Yep. And something is basically getting to sleep. There's plenty of products out there that, that mm -hmm. say they're going to do it with no side effects. Short of medication, which is mm -hmm. not something I embrace in general, what, what are the best ways to, to get us to shut our minds down and then mm -hmm. get off mm -hmm. to a good, good night's sleep? So there's a lot of different things, but I want to start out by saying one thing to, for, for listeners out there, just to be super duper clear, um, that Chris and I are not saying that if you're currently taking a sleeping aid, that that's a bad thing. That is not what we are saying. But what we are saying is, is that there are alternatives out there. If you need a pill to sleep and that's a relationship that you have with your doctor, we have tremendous respect for that. And we're not saying to change that in any way, shape or form. But what we are saying is, is there are alternative methodologies that might be healthier in the long run for some situations. If you're a bipolar uh, you know, individual and you need Ambien to help you sleep, take your damn Ambien, okay? Like, I, I want to be very clear about that. There's no pill shaming going on here, but it would be, let's be fair. If I go into the sleep lab and I look at a, a patient there, I can actually tell by looking at their brain waves if they're on a medication because pharmaceutically induced sleep and natural sleep are two different animals. They just are. There's no kind of getting around it. So when we start to, start to think about how do we give people a better night's sleep, there's really three different areas that I like to look at before we get into pills and prescriptions and things like that, right? So number one is your environment. Could there be something going on in your environment that could be making your sleep worse? Absolutely. Believe it. So this is going to sound crazy. There's actually a study showing that if you have your laundry laying around your room, <laughs> that it, it, it's hard to turn your brain off because you look at it and you're like, oh shit, I need to do that. Or you have you know, a laptop sitting there. So really making your room more conducive for sleep absolutely positively helps, especially for people who tell me they can't turn off their brain because they're always looking for some other piece of stimuli, something along those lines. So step number one, look around your environment. Could there be something in your environment that's causing an issue? Is it too loud? Is it too light? Um, is your bed partner disrupting you? Is there an animal in the bed? What not? That's area number one. Area number two that I like to look at are um, actual physical deficiencies, right? And so I say, talk to your doctor, get some blood work. You want to look for three different things. You want to look for, do you have a deficiency in vitamin D, in magnesium, or in any form of iron? Any one of those three will absolutely make your sleep 
worthless. Um, and so if you're low in those, it doesn't make sense to give you, you know, ashwagandha or Ambien when all you need is magnesium. You know what I'm saying? So I like to really only give people the things that their body needs and requires. So number one, if you got any deficiencies, let's fix those deficiencies. Wait a couple of weeks and see how your body reacts and see if it sleeps better, right? Again, it just might be that you're not getting enough vitamin D, believe it or not. There's that that can definitely happen. The third area, which which really focuses in on that I can't turn off my brain is cognitive behavioral therapy. So, and I'm trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and many psychologists are. Um, and so what cognitive behavioral therapy is, is it's where we change your behaviors in terms of, we tell you what time to go to bed, what time to wake up. We might even make it a shorter period of time, which would seem very counterintuitive for many of my insomniacs where I tell them to go to bed later, not earlier. But there's a technique within cognitive behavioral therapy that's very that works quite well. The other thing that we do, not just looking at the behaviors, is we look at your thoughts, right? And that's where the I can't turn off my brain really comes into play. So what are you thinking about when this is happening? Are you thinking about work stuff? Are you thinking about sleep? Are you... And so what we do is we address those individual thoughts and we make sure that they're real, right? So as an example, one very common thought that I hear from people is if I don't get X number of hours of sleep, my entire day is going to be ruined the next day. The truth of the matter is you've never, I mean, let's be fair. You've gotten bad sleep before many, many, many times. And your entire day wasn't toast because of it, right? But we catastrophize. We make these things seem like they're bigger than they really are. Um, and so a lot of times this cognitive behavioral therapy works very well. Now, there's a problem with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is there's not enough therapists. Um, there's a lot of people out there who have a need, but not a lot of therapists. Believe it or not, they now have digital cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been shown to be effective and an effective methodology of administering it, which I, I got to be honest with you. I didn't think there was any universe where somebody could learn CBT from, you know, a, a, an animation, but um, it is actually, they have done the studies and it looks like it's working quite well. And I've had several patients use it and believe it or not, that is actually by prescription. So your doctor can write you a prescription for digital cognitive behavioral therapy that would actually be covered by your insurance, crazy enough. So kind of cool. It is. You, you talk a lot, a lot about behaviors, when to get up, when to go to bed, consistency you, you say is important, when to stop drinking caffeine. Is it eight hours before bedtime? Alcohol, yep. a few hours before? I mean, th those are some things that are very structured and I, I believe have great power for lots of people who are struggling. Um, for those of us that don't embrace a regimented routine quite as enthusiastically, right. um, those things are tough. But I, I do understand that that uh, that all of them are important when when combined. Yeah, yeah, they are. And you know what I did, um, Chris, was I created what I call a five-step plan, which I think is super easy. If it's okay, I'll I'll roll sure. through it for your audience to to learn a little bit more about it. And to be honest with you, number one, my five-step plan will not cost you a dime. Um, you don't have to give me your email for it. Um, you don't have to do anything for it. Just listen, and and you will see that it makes a lot of sense. Now, we can get really detailed, but we're going to go through just the top part of the surface, you know, five different things. So step number one is to choose one wake-up time and stick to it. Now, you notice I said wake-up time and not bedtime, okay? And I said stick to it, meaning seven days a week, okay? <laughs> now, if people get one thing from this entire conversation, do this because this will have the biggest effect on your overall sleep cycle because it will keep your circadian rhythms in line. I wake up every single day, somewhere between 6.08 and 6.13. I don't know why, but that's the time that my brain 
clicks and wakes up. But the consistency of that allows me to actually be able to fall asleep a lot easier. Let me explain the science behind why. So when you wake up in the morning and light hits your eyeball, it sends a signal to your brain to turn off the melatonin faucet in your head. Now, the good news here is that's great because then you kind of get rid of brain fog and start your day. But what people don't know is it also sets a timer for 14 hours later to start melatonin again. Aha, so this is interesting. And here's the big aha moment. Your brain can't tell time. Now that's gonna sound strange that I say that, but follow what, I, what happens. If you're waking up at 6 a.m., 6 a.m. during the week, 14 hours later is 8 p.m., that's when melatonin kicks off, you're in bed by 10.30, everything's awesome, right? Able to fall asleep pretty easily. But if you, instead of waking up at six, you wake up at eight, two hours later, your brain can't tell time, so it doesn't start your melatonin until 14 hours later. So that two hour difference in the morning is actually happens in the evening. So your, your brain's not even creating melatonin at that point until 10.30 at night, which means you're not gonna fall asleep until almost midnight. So keeping the consistent wake up time does so much for you biologically, it's insane. Now, just pick one and follow it. Now, I'll, we'll in the latter part of our conversation, we're gonna talk about these things called chronotypes which is a genetic predisposition, and we'll tell you when those times should be. But for a moment, just understand that wake up at the same time every single day, seven days a week is what you want to do. Step number two is caffeine. You want to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Why? Because as you mentioned earlier, caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. So if you stop at two by 10, most people will have at least half of it out of their system. Awesome. Step number I, three. I, I'm drinking oh. green tea, but I'm not going to go to bed till midnight. So I, I don't, don't scold you're me. You're in good <laughs> shape now. You're, you're doing okay. I love it. I love it. Step number three has to do with alcohol. Um, and this is a great rule for if you want to drink and still get a decent night's sleep. So I'm not, as you've already noticed, I'm not the sleep doctor to say, never have a drink of caffeine, never have any alcohol, right? I'm going to show you how to do it and still get good sleep. So you want to limit it to two drinks and you want to stop drinking three hours before bed. So step number three is to, is to stop alcohol three hours before bed. Let me explain why. When you get past the second drink, your body starts to feel a buzz. There's nothing wrong with feeling a buzz, but when you do that, your brain spikes this stuff called cortisol because it doesn't know what's going on. Now you're an energetic drunk. This is not ready for you to go to bed, right? Because let's be fair, there's a really big difference between going to bed and passing out, right? And that's what happens to a lot of people. And let's also be fair. Did you know alcohol is the number one sleep aid in the world? More people drink themselves to sleep than any single other thing. And it's well, I don't, I don't, I'd like to think I'm not passing out. But listen, I, all of us feel like, uh, you know, just I just want to have a nightcap. I just going to help me wind down. It's going to slow my brain down and all that one stuff. One is great. I don't have a problem with one nightcap. You want to have a bourbon, um, you know, an hour before bed. I don't care. I think it's fine. It will cause some level of physical relaxation, but it can't be your fourth bourbon. You know what I'm saying? Because yes. when you have so much here's and here's the science is the, when you stop drinking and when lights out are that period of time will determine how much alcohol affects your sleep. So if you stop drinking three hours before lights out, so you go to dinner, it's six thirty seven o'clock. You have a glass of wine at seven 20. You have your second glass of wine to finish your meal. Um, and then it's eight o'clock, you're done. You're not getting in bed till 11. You're good to go. Like it's not going to have an effect. But if you kept drinking and got made that time frame shorter, it's going to have a huge effect on your sleep, specifically stage three, four sleep. 
um, which is your physical restoration. The other thing it does is it makes you have to pee, right? Because once you pee once and you're drinking, you break the seal, right? You're peeing all night long, <laughs> which is disruptive to, the, to your sleep as well, right? Step number four is the area that you love, which is exercise. Exercise daily for better sleep. I'll tell you a funny story. I was on stage. Well, actually, I got to meet Tony Horton. So I'm sure I know you know who yes. Tony Horton is. Some of your listeners may not. He's the fellow that developed this awesome program called P90X a long, long time ago. And the guy's in the sickest shape I've ever seen. He's 60 years old and he can kick I would, my I would ass. call him high energy, Tony. <laughs> he is high energy. And I asked him, I was, I was fortunate enough to be in the audience and talk with him. Um, and then I came up and gave my lecture. And I said, Tony, how many days a week should you exercise? And he turned to me and he said, Michael, how many days a week should you sleep? And I was like, got it, right? And so daily exercise is really what we're shooting for. But what we don't want is core body temperature to raise too close to bedtime because we know that your body has to cool down to get to sleep. So exercise daily, but step number four is to stop exercise four hours before bed. Step number five is a wake-up routine. Only have to do three simple things. And I call it the three 15s. So you do 15 minutes of deep breathing, right? So 15 deep breaths, just to wake up your respiratory system, kind of bring you present. You want to have 15 ounces of water. You want to hydrate before you caffeinate, please. Much better for you. And then you want to have 15 minutes in the sunshine um, because that turns off that melatonin faucet and it gives you exactly the right amount of vitamin D that you're probably going to need. So as a, as a quick summary, step number one, wake up at the same time every single day. Step number two, stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step number three, stop alcohol three hours before bed. Step number four, exercise daily, but stop exercise four hours before bed. And step number five is the three 15s, 15 breaths, 15 ounces of water, and 15 minutes in the sun. I feel okay about that checklist. I, the, the last part, the wake up, that's very much in line with what I like to do. Stretching and exercise would be the fourth thing for me. Uh, I'm pretty consistent on the other stuff too. You've got me scared though, because in the not too distant future, Mm. I and the tennis team at ESPN are going to be broadcasting the Australian Open, but from nice. Connecticut. So it's 16 time zones away. I've wow. done this two years now. What you just ran through is daunting because I, people who yeah. are operate in the third shift, the overnight shift, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. I, it's incredibly disruptive. So you're going to bed whenever you're getting up. The matches begin about 3.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. They might end at 9 o'clock. I mean, and then you try to sort yourself out and get back on a normal schedule on your off days and it's, it's rough. I mean, for people who are, who are working those night shifts, is, is there a quick way to feel like you're still part of the human race, yep. even though you're out of step yep. with a lot of people? So here's the good news is if you asked me the exact same question like three or five years ago, I wouldn't have a great answer for you. I give you a couple of websites to go to and I tell you, hey, download a little bit of information about this or that. So shift work has really started. We've done a lot more research about this in the last five years because we're in a 24-7 manufacturing economy. The Internet's always on, blah, blah, blah. Bitcoin, whatever it is, something is going 24-7. And so shift work has become quite an interesting um, environment. So number one is there's an app for that, believe it or not. <laughs> it's called Time Shifter, T-I-M-E-S-H-I-F-T-E-R. We can put it into the show notes for people. Um, and full disclosure, I am an investor and I help design Time Shifter. Um, but this is actually where you put in your shift and it will tell you using four different things how to shift on and off almost seamlessly. So you'll use light, caffeine, 
napping, and melatonin in very particular order based on your shift or your travel um, and what you're doing. So as an example, if you're going to be doing the Australian Open, I would shift you to Australian time and I'd leave you there for the number of days that you needed to be on Australian time. And then if you had like a two day or three day off weekend, I would rotate you to your you know normal time and then I would rotate you back come Sunday. Um, if that's kind of what, if that's what you're doing. Um, and we do that with people all the time, as, uh, athletes, um, uh, journalists, <laughs> quite a bit, uh, because you guys are here, there and everywhere also. Um, and, and you're doing it from a completely different universe. You're not even there on, you know, you're in Connecticut while you're doing uh, the Australian Open. So I would actually use Time Shifter for you um, to shift you. Um, but those are the four things that you need. There's hope. I never heard about that. I, I will, I will. Definitely put that in the show notes and, and check it out and, and share with my colleagues. I, what you said is important because the quality of sleep, no matter what shift you're on, mm -hmm. is, is so challenged because yeah. you know, I'm holding up my phone here, but, but devices and the expectation that you are to be looking at your email at, at midnight and aware of what's coming in at 530 and yeah. you're never off. On the, and so many people can, are not in their heads saying, yeah, that's how I feel. I'm made to feel that way by my employer. I, I'm not allowed mental downtime. Right. right. And so and, and that's that's a big one. So let's 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 break that apart because there's at least two, maybe three different things that are disruptive of your sleep in that scenario. Right. So number one is you get an email at five o'clock in the morning. So first of all, that's completely inappropriate for anybody to be sending you an email. Let's just be very, very clear. Unless you're on and that's like part of your job description. Here's what's happening is an early bird. What I call a lion is your boss. And they're up at 4.30 in the morning. So they're just pounding things away. And you've got to stop that feeling to say, I want my boss to think I am Johnny on the spot and I'm going to be able to answer that email and I'm a great employee. Relax, okay? Number one, negotiate that with your boss. Hey, if you're going to send me emails at 5 a.m., I don't have a problem with it, but I need to be clear with you. I'm not going to start looking at them until 8.15 or 8.30 or whatever time is that we negotiate and come through. So number one, pull the pressure off of yourself, right? Because there's definitely pressure to be felt, okay? Number two, the proximity of the device is going to be a problem, right? And so what do I mean by that? Do not sleep with your phone next to your head. Okay, like this is this is sleep 101, guys. Okay. And and if one person out there is thinking in their head, oh, but my phone is my alarm clock and it's the only way I can wake up, bullshit. Okay. Go to Target and buy an analog alarm clock that you can put right next to your bed. It'll be six bucks. I guarantee it. Are you saying and put the phone across the room, Michael? Yes, you say I am. I wanted to so, so nightstand isn't good enough. I don't put it next to my head on the pillow, but a nightstand's a bad idea. Nightstand's a terrible idea. Why? Because here's what happens. When you wake up between 2 and 3.30 in the morning, which, by the way, a lot of people do, it's the first thing that you do. You grab your phone and you want to know what time it is. That is not information that you need to know in the middle of the night. It's all the way across the room, or better yet, in a different part of the house, you're going to be in much better shape. Now, somebody out there is going to say, oh, I can't put it in a different part of the house. What if my child calls me in the middle of the night? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, number one, if you have a landline, then your child will call on the landline. Okay, number two, when was the last time that that actually occurred? Never. Okay, never. 
So I am, I can assure you, if people need to get in touch with you in the middle of the night, there will be a way that they can do it, but you don't have to have a phone sitting next to your head. That's super duper tempting. But here's the bigger problem is the engagement with the phone. Now you were probably thinking I was going to say, oh, the blue light from the phone is having an effect on your melatonin, blah, blah, blah. I did. Blah, yes, blah. I did. Right. Which is true, but I want to be clear about something. Blue light isn't as big a deal as a lot of people make it out to be, okay? Here's what's really interesting is the amount of blue light that you're exposed to during the day directly determines how much blue light changes your melatonin production at night. So a lot of people don't know that, okay? And, and there are lots and lots of different solutions, but I want to be clear, it's not just the light, it's the engagement. So as an example, if you're hanging out on your phone, scrolling away before bed, um, trying to get your high score on Candy Crush or something like that, I got a newsflash for you. You ain't <laughs> trying to go to sleep, okay? So what I, and, and so here's what I'll tell you though, but let's say you want something to distract you, turn on the TV. Yes, you heard it here, folks. The sleep doctor said you can fall asleep with the television on. Yep, I'm gonna repeat myself one more time. You can fall asleep with the television on. I'll tell you why I have to say this, Chris because my wife falls asleep with the TV on every single night. So does mine. <laughs> yeah. I just celebrated so, so 23 TV years okay, yesterday. phone bad though, right? Okay. Right, right. Well, and I'll tell you why. There's, there's two reasons why. Number one, the light's all the way across the room, but more importantly, the engagement. When my wife is watching TV, she's not watching it. She's listening to it. She watches with her eyes closed, right? And she's all she's doing is listening to just enough of an old episode of Seinfeld or something like that to be a distraction to turn off her brain, which was kind of where we started this conversation, right? Was talking about people who can't turn off their brain at night. So using different distraction techniques are perfectly fine. Here's the good news. 99% of the TVs have got a timer built into the software. If you can't figure it out, ask your kid. That's what I did. <laughs> and my son showed me exactly where it was and we turned it on and you can even turn the brightness levels down. So you don't have like, you know, lit up like crazy in your bedroom you can be very accommodating and still be able to handle that. Um, so we talked about the blue light, we talked about the engagement, and we talked about moving the phone across the room. All of that are distractions, I would argue, to your sleep. Um, and so if you can re remove electronics, it's going to be overall a great thing. I get it. If it causes you more stress to do that, start with it across the room, do that for two or three weeks, then put it out right outside your door, do that for two or three weeks, and then kind of walk it down the hall. I'm not going to lie. I'd have to be having a sleep emergency to put the phone in another room. I get it. You're not supposed to tap it to see what time it is. But, yeah. you know, I, I do I do sometimes want to figure out if I got an hour more to sleep, if I got two hours more to sleep. I, right. I don't have that kind of internal alarm clock uh -huh. that's as well that. defined as yours is getting up at the exact same time. I need that alarm sometimes. So Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, let's well, let's talk about that. So, number one, if you got up at the same time every day, you wouldn't. You're, you would be completely finely tuned. Just as an FYI for everybody out there listening, it takes somewhere between three and five weeks of getting up very close to the same time. And then your body just starts to naturally do it. It will self-adjust. So just for your own edification, it is possible, right, to do, okay? Number two, um, when you've got an alarm, um, if you have a bed partner, you maybe want to be pretty careful because if you get up at a different time than your bed partner and your alarm goes off, you're going to be pissing somebody off pretty much every single morning. Right. If you've got people who get up at different times, oh, yeah. that can that can certainly be an issue as well. Right. So thinking through some of the some of the logic driven stuff and just sort of the housekeeping of it all can definitely be a, a factor as well. You have a lot in your book, uh, Energize, about relationships 
relationships yeah. involving people of the different chronotypes. So let's get to the different <laughs> chronotypes. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, you mentioned lions, that's the early birds, because lions hunt at first light, and I, I get right. that. And then there's the wolves who are nocturnal, right? Yep. You said you were a wolf, I saw it in one I interview. I thought I was gonna be a wolf when I went to the sleepdoctor.com and took the test. Ended up being a bear, which is sort I of the middle of the bell curve, right? That's like oh. the, the most people. And then there's the dolphin, who the people who should come see you, who have right. serious insomnia problems. Yeah, so, so what you did is, yes, you correctly identified. So what I did was, let me just give everybody the kind of the cheat code here, right? And so if you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, that's what we're talking about. Those are chronotypes. Those are actually genetic predispositions for your sleep and sleep schedule. Sorry, there's a siren going on. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, so these are predispositions for your sleep schedule and it's genetic, so you can't change it. Right. And so some people say, oh, I want to be an early bird. I want to wake up every morning at 430 in the morning and kick the day's ass. Bad idea, unless you are genetically an early bird. Otherwise, you're going to do this for a couple of weeks. So that's right in there, along with hair color, eye color. It is just a yep. part of your DNA that can't really be modified or no nope. worked around. Okay. Yeah, no, nope. you can you could modify it, but you'd have to modify it every single day. You'd have to take melatonin and use light to shift your circadian rhythm every single day. And by the way, people do that um, all the time, but it's not necessarily recommended, right? So a lion is the earliest form. A wolf is the late form. In between, we call a bear. That's you, which is what <laughs> I wish I was. Um, and the problem children or the insomniac, we call a dolphin. Now, let me explain to you why I wish I was a bear. So first of all, 55% of people are bears. So one in two people is a bear, but here's why. Um, bears have the perfect schedule because everything out there works on a bear schedule. The nine to five work schedule, it's perfect for a bear, right? Get up around seven, 7.30, go to bed around 9.30, 10 o'clock, work from nine to five, everything works great. If you're a wolf like me, I don't even like to get up before 7 30 8 o'clock most of the time right whereas a bear can get up significantly early and a lion can get up much much earlier so kind of understanding all of those things and by the way we've had almost 2 million people take the quiz now and we've learned that there are early bears and there are late bears i saw so that there, there's a, you I'm, glad a you, I'm glad you said that because the energizer yeah. yeah the late because uh, i said wait a minute i can't i can say up late i do my best work i have to function at midnight my i have to be at my sharpest at the end of a football game at midnight yep. eastern time so it's very hard to to think of myself as someone's got to shut it down again but I, i'm glad that you you got very specific in the book and i would definitely encourage people to pick it up and then figure out how a, how a bear is going to coexist with a lion or a or a dolphin or something because that's when you're living as you said you're sleeping right next to somebody right and you love them more than anybody else and but there's that sort of potential yeah. collision <laughs> well absolutely and look let's be fair like not everybody ends up in bed with somebody that's the same chronotype now i'll be fair i was lucky um we didn't realize it but both my wife and i are nighttime chronotypes and and we, we know this now because when i remember when we were dating uh 24 years ago um uh i would pick her up at eight We'd have dinner reservations at 8.30. We'd finish dinner by like 10. We'd go to the movies from 10.30 to 12.30. Then we'd go out for a drink or dessert afterwards. We'd get home at two, right? And that was perfectly normal for us. I went out with another girl, not since then, but before then, who wasn't, there's no universe where she could stay out until two o'clock in the morning, right? But I, you know, I didn't think about, it. I mean, you're young and dating, you don't think about it. But now when you're married, like life sets in, like there's some interesting aspects to this. And I'll be honest with you, the big question that everybody asks, intimacy. 
when, if, if I'm an early bird and my chronotype is a night owl, when do we have sex? So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll do a little bit of information about that because I have a feeling your, your listeners would want to know. Is that cool? I, I'm not going to object to you talking about sex now. <laughs> okay, good. So, so here's what's interesting. And by the way, take the chrono quiz so you know what you are so that this information can be valuable to you. So you need five hormones to successfully be intimate. You need estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, adrenaline, and cortisol all need to be elevated. And melatonin, the sleep hormone, needs to be lowered, okay? So 74% of people like to be intimate somewhere between 10 and 11.30 at night. There's polls and things like that. What do you think their hormone profile looks like? The opposite, right? Melatonin is high and all those other things are low. That is hint number one um, if you are in bed with somebody who is biologically male, okay? Hint number two, what do most men wake up with in the morning? An erection. If that's not mother nature telling you when to use that thing, I don't know what is, okay? So what we look at is testosterone levels. So here's what happens. Men wake up in the morning with their highest level of testosterone of the entire day. Okay, so it makes intuitive sense that it would make more sense to be able to be intimate early in the morning. Here's what we discovered after giving this information to a lot of different chronotypes is um, connection is better. Um, and so when people now, to be fair, wake up in the morning, go brush your teeth, throw in some mouthwash, then come back into bed with your partner and right and then sort of see how it works. Performance is better for men across the board. Erectile function is better. Um, ejaculatory function is better, but also connection is better. And so it's very, very interesting. Looking at women, um, orgasm actually occurs more in the morning time than it does in the evening time. Again, very, very interesting. But I will tell you the funniest aspect of the entire study is we did a, we, when we were surveying people and getting all this data, we did a difference male versus female. And women had very specific times based on their chronotype of when they wanted to be intimate. For men, believe it or not, it was whenever it's offered, I'm down. <laughs> and and not I mean, surprising. not surprising, right? But but actually data driven, right? And so, but if you think about it, you know, there's it's very interesting. So in the book, what we did was we created a matrices. So you can put your chronotype across one and your partner's chronotype across the other. And I give you an early evening time and an early morning time to run the experiment for yourself, right? And say, hey, hun, you know, buddy, let's figure it out. And so there you go. Like, just give it a shot and sort of see what happens. You might be surprised at number one, it gives a little variety to your sex life. But number two, it, you, you may actually perform better. Also, just as an edification in the book, we have two other matrices, one for lesbian couples and one for gay couples because the hormone profiles are different. Chronotypes and, and circadian rhythms, which is just now beginning to be ex explored adequately. It hasn't been. I mean, yeah. you, you say that there is not just a best time to wake up or go to sleep or have a drink or have sex, but virtually any sort of activity, you can tell someone based on their chronotype and the, the, the detailed chronotype, okay, what's what's the best time to do that most efficiently or optimally? Oh, there's no question about it. And the data is really consistent. We had over 220 studies in the book about every, I mean, I can tell you the best time of day to write a book. I can tell you the best time of day to have a conversation with your child. I can tell you the best time of conversation to have a difficult conversation with your spouse. Um, there's really, because what we do is we look, because it's all about hormones, right? And so here's what happens is if you're an, a lion and you wake up at five o'clock in the morning, guess what? Your melatonin turns off, all your other hormones turn on, and it's very predictable within the next 24 hours. If you're a wolf, the exact same predictability happens. It's just like three hours later, 
right? And so once you start to know what the hormone schedule is, all you do is plan your activities when your hormones will naturally be high. So people tell me all the time, I do this with athletes constantly, right? And so if I've got an athlete who's ready to perform, um, the first thing that we try to figure out is when, what time of day are you competing, right? Because it could be very different depending upon what time zone you're in, what, what sport you're playing, right? If you're a golfer, you might be playing on the dawn patrol. Whereas if you're an NCAA football player, you may not start until six o'clock at night on East coast time, right? And so there are very different performance times that can go through there for, uh, for particular athletes and depends upon the sport and things like that, but it's super cool. Yeah, the book Energize, you, you co-wrote with Stacey Gerbuth, who's one of the gurus of SoulCycle. And it yep, talks yep. just about which I mean, energy and, and lack of it and the need yeah. for it and the desire to get, optimize it is such a huge topic right now. And, and sleep is a component of it. But other than sure. getting quality and quantity of sleep, what, what kinds of things should people be focusing on to sort of maximize their energy? Yeah, so it's interesting. So there's a couple of different things. If you start to look in the literature, I would say within the last five to seven years, Intermittent fasting has really become significantly more popular and certainly something that people can learn from and get a good. Don't tell me that's from. bad, please. Please don't tell me that's bad. No, that's not what bad. I did. It's okay. great. It's great. In fact, in the new book, Energize, we dedicate almost a third of the book to intermittent fasting. And we talk to people about how to fast. And believe it or not, you can fast based on your chronotype. Um, and it actually makes it more effective. So it's kind of cool. Um, so I think intermittent fasting is absolutely one of those great ways to number one, have more energy. Um, people don't realize this, but food kind of slows you down. Um, <laughs> um, it really kind of makes you a little logy and a little slow and things like that. Whereas not having food for prescribed periods of time can be very beneficial. I just want to be super clear about one thing though, for any listeners out there, if you're interested in trying intermittent fasting and you've been diagnosed with an eating disorder, that's a terrible idea. You need to speak with your doctor who is treating your eating disorder. Intermittent fasting is not for people with anorexia, bulimia, or any types of eating disorders. That's a whole different conversation that you need to have with your doctor. Yeah, thanks for clarifying and explaining. I, I don't generally address to things to people who are struggling. If you're struggling with something like that, you mentioned um, earlier uh, folks who might be struggling in various ways with mental health issues, obviously right. deal with the doctor, get that get that stuff sorted out before uh, listening to advice that's for, for everybody because it's it doesn't, doesn't work across the board. Absolutely. So, so regulating food intake, sleep, what else? Movement. Um, and so that's what Stacy helped me with. So as you mentioned, Stacy Griffith, she is one of the founding trainers at SoulCycle. Awesome. Like you want to talk about energy? Holy crap. This woman has got more energy than anybody <laughs> I think I've ever seen. And if you've ever tried taking one of her classes, she still instructs all over the country, but she's based, I believe in New York, her classes sell out in like two minutes. Um, and I've been to some of her classes. It's like a disco dance party, but you're sweating and <laughs> cycling and all this kind of crazy fun. And so, and, and so when Stacy and I got together, we started to talk about it. And I said to her, I said, well, tell me what the problem is for most of your patients. And she said, most of my patients tell me they're exhausted. I'm like, oh, are they sleeping? She's like, well, kind of, sort of, maybe we need to talk about that. And I said, you know, a lot of my patients tell me that they're exhausted, but they are sleeping well. And she's like, well, are they moving? Like, no, I don't know. And so like, I'm going to ask your patients questions and you're going to ask my patients questions. And now we're going to start to figure it out. And so we did, we developed a movement program. I should say Stacy really developed a movement program. Um, and, and I want to be clear, this is an exercise. This is movement. So what it is, is when you use your phone, um, you take uh, five times a day, an alarm would go off, very small. 
and you're going to stop what you're doing for five minutes. That's it. I'm not, and this, I want to be clear. This is not an exercise routine. Nobody should be breaking a sweat. This is literally about moving your body, right? So one of the things we know is when we sit for too long, um, we swell and inflammation sets in and then we get stiff and then we feel like crap and we don't want to move around. I mean, let's be fair. Sitting is the new smoking, guys. We want to stay up and down. You know, we want to be moving quite a bit. And so what Stacy taught me was five different types of movements that can be done throughout the day. So there's a bounce, there's a shake, there's a stretch, there's a balance, and there's a build. And there are different times for different chronotypes. But again, what we're having people do is just you know, stand up and shake, you know, like you ever seen a dog when they get up after they've been lying for them, they go, and they do that whole shaky thing. And they're immediately awake and have lots of, I mean, I kind of feel energetic when I just did it. Right. And so like, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, but it's a movement schedule and it's super easy to do. Yeah. You got me fired up. I, are you, and we'll, we'll, we'll close here. Are you optimistic about the future of sleep and being able to spread the word and, and, and having people increase their wellness at a time when I think, unfortunately, when you look around on, on several fronts, America is not getting healthier. It's getting less healthy almost by the month yeah. in, in so many ways. It, and, and it's never too late, but how sleep fits into this, this whole component of, of fitness, wellness, and then ultimately longevity, because we'd like to yeah. live not just longer, but high quality years. Yeah, absolutely. So I think sleep is critical, critical, critical for all of that. And I think if you don't um, well, let, let's, let me back up. If you think you're not sleeping well from a quality standpoint, talk to your doctor immediately. Maybe do a sleep test. Number one, we need to rule out, do you have sleep apnea, which by the way, 18% of the population, I mean, that's one in five people has that. Do you have narcolepsy? Do you have restless leg syndrome? Do you have insomnia? I mean, if, if all we did was take the percentages of the population of those four things, that's like 65% of the population, okay? Right. So number one, if your sleep isn't great, talk with your doctor about it. There, you could have a sleep disorder, which could be easy to fix, and then you're back on the road to recovery. Okay, let's say that that's not the case. You don't have a sleep disorder, but you have what I call disordered sleep, okay? So it's not apnea, narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome. It's, hold on a second, bro. I got six and a half hours last night, and I feel like crap. What's that all about? That's the quality side of things. And if we've already ruled out things like sleep apnea, then we start to look at, like we were talking about before, environmental issues, um, bed partner issues. If you've got a snoring bed partner or if you snore, that could be something that you want to tackle. So there's a lot of different things that we need to do. But if you don't really focus in on sleep, here's what I can tell you is going to occur. You're certainly going to die earlier. You're certainly going to die less healthy. Um, and and that that trip along the way it's going to be a nightmare. And I'm not using that as a pun I'm, or the fact that it's Halloween today, um, but the fact that nightmare is the right word to use. Because here's what happens. When people don't sleep well, what we start to see is cardiovascular changes, pretty dramatic ones, very, very quickly early on. So if you're waking up, falling asleep, waking up, falling asleep, your heart rate is going up and down, which causes an irregular heartbeat, which can lead to something called atrial fibrillation, which can lead to heart attack, stroke, death, not fun stuff, stuff we don't want anybody to have. So if you're thinking about, okay, I've got a lot of things I got to do. I got to lose weight. I got to reduce my pain. I got to get my mood in better. Sleep will do all of it for you. Again, it's a fundamental domino of health, of wellness, of longevity, of sanity, I would argue. <laughs> you know, um, and, and here's the thing. If you're out there listening and at any point in this conversation, you said, ah, you know, I really do need to do something about my sleep. You do. 
okay? You do. Don't blow it off because here's the thing. People use sleep as the shock absorber of their life all the time, right? They're like, oh, I'm having a crappy day uh, at work. I'm just going to stay up longer and work more, you know, or, oh, I got into a fight with my spouse. I'm going to go to bed early so I don't have to deal with them. That's not how you use sleep, okay? Sleep is a biological function. I swear to you, if you use it right, it will be the biggest gold mine you have ever found for your overall health and wellness. I promise. Now, that was a strong exclamation point to our conversation. I'm so grateful for Michael's time and his wisdom and passion for improving our health through sleep. I suggest you check out his Instagram, at The Sleep Doctor. Also, his best-selling books and his website, thesleepdoctor.com. There's all kinds of good stuff there, including ratings on things that impact our sleep, like mattresses, pillows, and sheets. Now, after the interview, Michael gave me one last tip for travelers that I never would have thought of. At hotels, choose queen beds, not rooms with kings. Most hotel mattresses aren't great, right? He says smaller queen beds sag less and hold up better than kings, and also aren't as popular, so they're slept on less. Told you his ideas are comprehensive. I'm going to try that one. As always, thanks to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and the team at Octagon for editing the episode. I'll talk to you soon with more of Season 5 of Fowler, Who You Got.